we are asking again, what's the situation of clinicians in Ukraine and what can we do to help them? You're listening to Clinical Conversations. I'm Joe Elia, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Ali Raja, an emergency physician from Mass General Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Our guests include Dr. Natalia Shevchuk, who is the chief narcologist of the Donetsk region in Eastern Ukraine. Anna Metelyuk, the coordinator of a program with Yale School of Medicine called Expanding Medication Assistant Therapies in Ukraine. She works for the Alliance for Public Health based in Kyiv, and she's actually speaking to us from the Republic of Moldova. And we want to thank Dr. Frederick Altis, Professor of Medicine and Public Health at Yale, the program's principal investigator, for connecting us with the people in Ukraine. Our translator is Oleg Lutsenko. Welcome, all of you. We really appreciate you agreeing to talk to us. We will keep this short. To all of our listeners, please, how are you doing there in the Donetsk region? Well, now in the Donetsk region, so from today, so from 1800, so we have really, so we've dimmed our lights inside, so in the apartment, so we put out the lights, and really from uh, 6 p.m. until 6 a.m., so curfew, so and we're not supposed really to put on the lights, so in any rooms in the apartment, so so we are under shelling, so the sirens blaring, and we've got really good down to the bomb shelter, whenever it is a Available. So in just my block of flats, there is a bomb shelter and I try really to go down there, but sometimes I'm really sick and tired of it and they really stay back at home, but you, it is something that you must do. Some people don't have bomb shelters and that is why the people really are flocking from the other houses, from the other homes uh, into this bomb shelter, running a high risk. So from time to time, we are off to work because we have really seven uh, substitution therapy sites working in various towns in the Donetsk region and to best of our luck until the warfare had started so we had enough uh, really shipment of the medication coming in into our region so we just were guided by instinct so we approached the distributor so asking them really for an ad hoc shipment of the medication and thank god we have it really it is now sitting in the warehouse in Kramatorsk town and in the other towns of the Donetsk region so we had really shipments during the hostilities during the warfare so but now all of the towns have enough stock of medications all the health facilities so have enough really stock to see them through two months or two months and a half and uh, so in this regard so we are doing pretty good so, but uh, we can't say the same thing about the other regions in Ukraine, just because we are in a very high exposure to very active warfare. We do not have any other refugees from the other state-run or private uh, um, addiction uh, societies. So that is why we don't have any burden to bear. So, anything that we have, we will have enough of our medication to see us through another four months. So, if you are not bombed out, of course, and if you are not occupied, and if you are not squandered and plundered. So we have so 612 patients 
in the substitution uh, therapy. This is really for the whole of the region, why is in the Donetsk region. And just two people have migrated. One really uh, traveled to Germany, and we haven't heard from him, and someone else to Lviv, everyone else back here. So that means everyone really take away home dose. And we dispense medications, so depending on each specific in each town, but at least really for 10 days in a row and really the longest time, really 20-25 days, take away home dose to see them through. And we tried really to detail a group of clinicians, so as not really to report to the office every day. So, for instance, twice uh, a week or three times a week, so a clinician on duty in the office to dispense medications and we have really temporary detention facilities here as well so before the war that started so we uh, really uh, brought along those uh, inmates every day to the health facilities and now we really the so we dispensed the uh, lump uh, amount of this medication to them so to facilitate dispensing so to the five people there in the temporary detention facilities so and now we've been faced with a challenge with when the clinicians really are trying to flee from our region and we are looking for their replacement and as of now the substitution therapy scheme in this Donetsk region is ongoing so and in this Donetsk region it is more or less uh, quiet and calm and uh, we have enough uh, groceries in the stores and we have and we're getting our salary fine with that and what else and uh, well some also comorbidity and concomitant diseases and all of them really to a full extent really have their access to antiretroviral therapy and they also get uh, their TB medication dispensed to them in the TB clinics as well. According to the Lancet, uh, Dr. Shevchuk, uh, the uh, treatment for uh, substance use disorders uh, stopped in, in, in that region, in the occupied region back in 2014. Did you have many patients migrating from the occupied zone to yeah. your zone? Yes, indeed. So we were in the project so to facilitate patients' transfer from Donetsk, Kholovka, and Makievka. Those are the towns really in the breakaway regions from Ukraine under Russia's control. And we ended up having as many as 770 patients. So they traveled here and they got their housing. And uh, so the, someone rented their flats and they were given some subsistence uh, uh, allowance so it's really to facilitate them really to settle in all of them were just uh, uh, received and uh, so a few of them really came back there just really two people just because of some uh, family challenges so they had to leave but other than that everyone really is staying here and uh, we are kind of uh, developing very close relationships relationships and now the situation is really busting out here so with this active warfare 
wage uh, against us and in 2014 so we had two for two months and a half the occupation but the substitution therapy was ongoing and after liberation so the frontier the borderline so was moved further afield and we found ourselves back in the Ukrainian territory and the substitution therapy over the border so it just didn't stop overnight but it just was nipped in the bud so so it just really persisted for five uh, eight months and then it stopped so uh, really they were on the mercy of the remaining supply of the stock of their medications and then the other ones really traveled here so from the other regions of Ukraine so those patients try really tried really to migrate to our place so it's really to stay closer to the borderline so it's really to have more frequent meetings with their next of kin Dr. Shevchuk you mentioned that your patients in the Donetsk region are thanks to your care and your preparation they're doing okay in terms of medication availability but what about the other patients the everybody fleeing the Ukraine right now have there been efforts to get them seen, for instance, in Poland or Moldova or somewhere else to continue their care? You know, our patients so didn't uh, leave here, just one of them really left for Germany, but he never sought clinical advice, so he was escorted by his relatives, by his family, so it managed really to get him many type of care, So, but he never uh, referred to our care. Thanks very much to the Public Health Alliance, thanks very much to the focal point on the ground, and the NGOs are very much involved in this uh, escorting activity, but thank, thank God we do not have this active warfare going on here and we don't have uh, very many people willing to migrate. And we are pleased to find out that uh, the, 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 the regions that have the influx of those people migrating from easternmost Ukraine, so they are faced with really the stockouts of those medications. And that is why the people fear that they might be denied access to their medications just because of stockouts or so they don't have enough. And Okay, you had uh, a colleague in Mariupol that um, you have lost contact with. Have you heard anything further from that region? Well, for the town of Mariupol, it was really the drug addiction clinic, very large one, and Alexander Pienko was the regional substitution therapy focal point for the Donetsk region, and actually the last time that I kept in touch with him, communicated with him, was on the 1st of March, so there was very heavy bombardment and shelling, and after the 1st of March, uh, neither was him nor was the other colleagues from that famous um, really drug addiction clinic. So I never managed really to get in touch with, nor by WhatsApp, nor via Viber. None of them really showed up uh, really in the network. All of the cellular phones really switched off, and I'm trying really to get some tidings around the place about him or his colleagues, but they never succeeded there, unfortunately. So, and let alone, I'm really scared, really, to think what's going on uh, there, so in that place.
while you mentioned that you have enough mm -hmm. medication to care for your patients, we can't imagine what the morale of your patients and staff is mm -hmm. in these circumstances. Mm -hmm. are, are people able to get enough food and sleep? Is electricity at the clinics, is it stable? No, I can't say really that uh, we've got uh, enough of all the stuff really to accommodate their needs actually. So during this day, so I've been two times down in the bomb shelter. Sometimes I have really to spend overnight in the bomb shelter. So these two days, so the overnight was pretty much quiet and the sirens were uh, so just uh, so were blaring not for a long time. So sometimes it, during the night so you have really to spend the whole night down in the bomb shelter so these two days so we deem more or less quiet and still so far is really the availability as groceries in the stores so uh, actually the, the the staple foods are available i can't really compare really the groceries and its assortment now out in the shops as compared to the pre-war times so i but I can't say either that we are starving, so we've got groceries in place, but it's all kind of subsistence level, so whatever you need fast. I was looking at the statistics uh, of COVID-19 in Ukraine, mm -hmm. and it seemed that you were at a peak <clears throat> just, as the, just as the invasion began. How are people doing with with COVID-19 now. Uh, people do get sick and come down with COVID-19, but we don't have really the surge of patients with COVID-19 as it was before the, the war. So we have a lot of really nationals from Kamatos and from elsewhere who have uh, migrated, who have left. And actually it was really the mothers with children really who have uh, traveled out and it was really the, the hotbed of uh, coronavirus transmission and we ended up having fewer population here in place and I think a good half have left and people do get sick with COVID-19 but uh, so we have uh, less people really clustering together and less mothers around and more people really sitting back at homes and somehow it must have really brought down so this COVID-19 incidence and perhaps the people must be very resilient because access to the medications in pharmacies are hard to get too because their personal income going down and everyone is trying really to, to care for themselves so it's not really to to come down with this uh, disease public transportation here so if the municipal shuttle buses and the trolley buses were overcrowded so previously now we keep walking on foot and sometimes so we have really a social bus service and people now are keeping fit are keeping more fit because of the coronavirus exposure we've covered a lot of ground so far but is there something else that you would like to say to our audience how might the clinicians listening to this podcast how might they help you 
do you mean what type of assistance, what type of help? So you can gather us, so I think we'll appreciate some tips. So what it takes really to behave in such crisis situations, just because, so both the patients and the health providers alike, so not only the clinicians, but also the medium uh, tier personnel, such as nurses and all the other support staff working for the health facilities right now are nervous and really they are now scared and frightened and we are, so it's easy so people are so tempered so because uh, so a lot of people concentrating on the uh, OAT side uh, so the substitution therapy side so a lot of people really coming in and some people really come in so because of the uh, Uh, because of the, uh, so because they don't long, long have enough stock of their medication, some people really come in drunk, and those those are nervous breakdowns happening in the office at work, and uh, so the uh, health providers really push the security buttons every now and then, so it's really really to bring in the security guards um, to calm them down, and we are trying really to to talk to communicate to the patients that uh, they must not behave like this. And uh, once again, so you have really the family coming in to escort the patients to the uh, site, so it's not really to have that patient along the way uh, So, so it's not really to have someone really coming to the patient really to snatch that medication from them on the way. And um, so we have really to do a lot of communications that we have enough stock and then we will have more shipment coming in. So don't be worried. And uh, what do they dream about, the patients? So this is a secret. They dream about a humanitarian aid coming in as in our heyday, and Canadian-made uh, methadone and methadine, so from Germany, it is their dream, and uh, I just share their concerns about it to you. Uh, well, Dr. Shevchuk, I, I, I want to thank you for being with us today from the Donetsk region. Uh, I hope uh, many of us today listened to your President Zelensky talk to a, a joint session of the United States Congress. Okay. He gave an excellent speech. Um, and we, we hope this interview will bring help where it's needed. And uh, we applaud you and your staff. And uh, we, th we thank Anna and Oleg uh, for their role in bringing us together with you today. So a big thank you to you, so that you've heard us out and you are uh, interested really to find out about our challenges. And well, I think it is uh, very highly appreciated, especially if the people from far off really take our problems close to heart. And I will share this message with my colleagues so that we had this lovely conversation and it will make them happy too. Well. Let me just say that that was our 286th clinical conversation. It comes to you from the NEJM group and the writers and editors of NEJM Journal Watch. The executive producer is Kristen Kelly. I'm Joe Elia. And I'm Ali Raja. Thanks for listening. And more importantly, doing what you can to help these brave clinicians.